You're listening to the Firm Foundation Church Podcast, where you'll get weekly episodes featuring your favorite sermons straight from our in-person Sunday services. Check it out. Hey, Firm Foundation, Pastor Blake here. Thanks so much for tuning in to our service. We hope that you were encouraged through the service today and that you were strengthened in your relationship with the Lord. We hope you enjoy the message today. God bless. All right, so today we're going to continue in our vision series. Uh, We've been over the last several weeks in a vision series, and we've been saying, okay, Lord, what is it that you're saying to our church in this year? Uh, And so as I was leaning in and asking the Lord that question towards the end of last year, the word that I believe he put in in my heart for us corporately and individually is the word positioned. And so that's the word that the Lord is calling us to as we head into this new year. And I believe this word positioned is is kind of a twofold meaning. Uh, the, The first meaning of it, I believe, is God is saying to us corporately and individually, you are positioned for exactly where you need to be today. Right now in the season, you're exactly where you need to be. But part two, you're not where you need to be by the end of this year. That means that there's this continual positioning that needs to occur in all of our lives so that we can be perfectly positioned on December 31st, 2023. There's some growing, there's some shifting, there's some positioning and and some strengthening that the Lord needs to do in all of our lives. And and so the thing that I'm encouraging us with as as a church is to keep pressing in each week, each month and saying, okay, Lord, what's that new position? Okay, Lord, what's that thing that I need to let down? What's that offense that I need to let go of? What's what's that, uh, who's that person I need to forgive and just move forward to all it is that you've called me to? And uh, I believe God has us positioned for breakthrough. That's what we talked about in week one. And I also believe that the Lord needs us to be positioned in our identity. That's what we talked about last week. And and so today, the the thing that I want to encourage us with um, uh, is I think we need to be positioned in our households. Uh, You know, when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 20, it tells us in that main verse that we are using, going to be using throughout this year, to take your positions, to stand still, to not be afraid because the Lord is with you and he will help you win the battles. And so that's what he's called calling us to do in this season of life. And and so I want to take some time this morning to talk about our homes, to talk about our families, to talk about our households, because I believe it is so critical for us to position ourselves correctly in our homes, in our families, in our households. And so let's pray and just invite the Lord to come and speak to us this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your presence. And God, we invite you to move in a powerful way this morning. Would you give us ears to hear you, Lord? Would you give us eyes to see you? Minds to be able to understand and comprehend what it is that you're doing in this season of life and hearts stirred towards compassion for each other and for your people. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So we are talking about the need to position ourselves in our households and in our families. And let me just begin starting off this way. There are no perfect families. <sighs> All right, let the tension just fall off of you right now. 
There's not like this perfection bar that we are setting. And hey, everybody look at the highs. They're the goal, all right? <laughs> David agrees with that, right? It's like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are no perfect families. That's part of living in a broken and fallen world. Uh, how many of you, um, early on, maybe you have kids now, right? But early on in marriage, you looked at other families, you looked at other parenting uh, practices, you looked at your parents and thought, I am going to do it so different. My kids are going to be respectful. They're going to say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. They're, they're going to sit down at church. They're going to be quiet. They're not going to run around. And my kids are going to be different. How many of you said that as parents early on? Can I just say we were the same way for a little while? We were even youth pastoring for a minute before we had teenagers and thought, that's easy. These kids love us. We are so good with teenagers. This is going to be a breeze. And then you know what happened? I got teenagers and it was not easy. Things changed. And, and so I think that's so funny when we think about households and families, you think it's going to be one way and then it ends up being a completely different way. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I am not a perfect husband. I am not a perfect father. I am far from it. Our family is not perfect. But my hope is that I am raising my kids, that I am living my life in a way that can be honoring to God. And maybe there's going to be some bumps along the way. Maybe there's going to be some trials. Maybe there's even going to be some fights that have to take place. But we're going to keep choosing to serve the Lord and to follow him and to trust, intercede, and believe that he's working things out for our good. You know, biblically speaking, when you look at families, they are far from perfect. All throughout the Bible, you have these examples of families, and it was not perfect. Adam and Eve, there was conflict between the two of them. There were some marital issues going on here. Then they had kids, and you know what happened? One of the sons murdered the other son. They were far from perfect. It was not a good thing. There was a lot of hate going on there. Eli, the priest, uh, the Bible tells us that his two sons were evil. They weren't perfect. Abraham and Sarah, they had their share of difficulty, yet they had this amazing covenant that God had called them and their family to. But what ended up happening? Sarah gave her servant to Abraham to have sex with and to have a child with, to try to manufacture the promise that God had for them. And it was so wrong. It was not a perfect family structure. And then I'm going to end just with the example of David. King David, he was an incredible man. In the New Testament, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. And I hope one day that's what someone will say about me. But David's family was far from perfect. Can I just tell you a few things that happened in David's family? Lying, adultery, murder, rape, and rebellion. Yet, somehow, God continued to use them. Somehow, he worked things out and he used them in a powerful way. We are far from being perfect as individuals and families. But can I just tell you this morning, God wants to still use you anyways. You 
see, with these families in the Bible, God turned their weakness into strength. He turned their mourning and their sadness into dancing. He turned their shame into glory. There were some not-so-proud moments. There was brokenness. But God somehow turned it into a beautiful masterpiece. Their stories are testimonies of redemption, surrender, and how God can use our unperfect conditions. Something you need to understand this morning is that we serve a generational God. And he isn't just writing a story for you, for me, and for us. But he's writing a much bigger story. And he's invited us to be a part of this generational plan that he has in store for his church and for this world and this culture and society. And so I want to address you for a moment this morning. Maybe you're here and it was rough getting to church this morning. Maybe you're going through some marital difficulties. Maybe there's some struggle with, with kids or, or families or parents and grandparents or you name it. Maybe you're coming in here this morning and you are far from any perfect situation that you hope to be in with your family. But just because things aren't the way that they fully should be, listen to this this morning, that doesn't mean that we can't improve. That doesn't mean that we can't grow. And that does not mean that we cannot work towards positioning our households to be places that honor the Lord and that are in this process of advancing his kingdom. And so I want to take some time to help us this morning as we are positioning our households in this year because I believe it is so imperative that we pay attention to this because God wants to use you and your family to advance his kingdom. Turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, positioning our households. Psalm 78, we're going to read the first eight verses, one through eight. This says, this is a psalm from Asaph. It says, oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his powerful and his mighty wonders. For he, um, for he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instruction to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to the Lord. As I read this passage of scripture this week, here's what I believe this means for us today. As we are talking about positioning our households, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, listen to my instructions this morning. Follow the leading of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you everything that you need. Whether you have babies 
toddlers, or teenagers. I will give you everything that you need. Or if you don't even have kids yet, or your grandparents, I'll give you everything that you need to be in the role that I've called you to be in in this season. There are stories and teachings that need to be handed down to your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. Boast about what God has, is, and will do in your life. Write it down so you don't forget what God has done so that you can pass this on and share this to the coming generations and your families. Teach God's word. Pass down the principles that are so dear and near to your heart. Instruct each generation to place their hope in Jesus. Call attention to the miracles and miraculous ways that God has worked throughout your life. And if you will place your hope in the Lord, then we will not turn into a household that is stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful. Maybe there will be moments of it, but God is going to bring them back. And households and families were the first institution that I believe God established that would serve as the foundation for the well-being of society and civilization. Kind of like pouring a foundation of a building. You've got to lay the foundation so that everything else can be built on it. I believe that our households are that foundation that the Lord wants to use to reach into our society, in the culture, in the world around us. When the foundation of the family is shaky, though, whenever it's cracked, whenever it's broken, the society around us rests upon it, and it will be in grave danger. I love this quote from Dr. Tony Evans because he said this, whoever owns the family owns the future. What owns your family? What's owning your household? Where is most of the time spent? Where, what is owning our time, our attention, our motives, our actions? Is it built on advancing God's kingdom? Or is it built around entertainment and luxury and comfort? You see, when the family structure breaks down, all calamity and chaos enter into our society. And so we need to protect our households. We need to make sure that we are positioned in the way that God intends for them to be. And so we've got to be careful with wrong and undermining definitions that come against a biblical definition of family. Because God is a God of order. And if we turn back to the book of Genesis, we're going to see what happens when things get out of order. We're going to see what happens in Genesis 6 when the family structure has been broken down. It's been infiltrated. And I want you to take note of this. This happened only six chapters into the Bible. All chaos broke loose six chapters in. That's all it took. <laughs> Maybe that's encouraging for you. I don't know if it's encouraging for you this morning, but it's encouraging to me. Like, okay, yeah, it's hard sometimes. <laughs> but God can turn things around. Let's look at this story here in Genesis 6, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 7. Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took them, um, and, took, uh, and took any they wanted as their wives. 
Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time. He's, he's had enough. <laughs> for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. And just stop there for a moment. Our lifespan keeps getting less and less. Maybe God's just, he's done. I can't put up with these guys. I got to take them home earlier. All right. Verse four, in those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. Um, keep losing my spot. Apologize. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Verse five, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was, consist, uh, was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. Look at this, look at this sentence right here. It broke his heart. It broke the father's heart at the condition where society was. And so the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every, liv every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry around the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I even made them. The people were corrupt. Society was in a really bad place. It was evil. There was brokenness that surrounded them. And so God made a decision. It's time to start over. And so he destroyed everything. But you know what he used to start everything over? A family. A household. He said, with them, things can change. With them, there's hope. As they live out what I've called them to, things can turn around for the good. Look at this in Genesis 6, verses 17 and 19, just fast-forwarding a little bit. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. Noah, so enter the boat. You and your wife and your sons and their wives bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. And so as we're looking at this story, there's, there's two questions that came to me. What is the purpose of our homes, of our families, of our, our households? What is truly the God-given DNA purpose for families? And where did it come from? And what is it designed to do? In order for us to be positioned in our households, I think we need to be able to answer these questions. So now go back to Genesis chapter 1 with me for a moment. I don't see you turning. Genesis 1, oh, you're, you're tapping. That's different. Genesis 1. We're going to look at verses 26 and 27, um, and all the way, actually all the way through 29. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Underline that, highlight that. That's important. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry around, along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now pay attention to the family structure that starts to come together here in 28 and 29. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. You need to highlight this verse as well. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And so three things this morning, quick, that I want to share with you, and then I've got some more encouragement and teaching that I want to give to you this morning. So these points are going to be fast, but don't think the sermon's over. I know that's how it usually works. I'm just prefacing it for you for a moment, right? So how should we position, be positioned in our households? Here's the very first thing that I think is critical, is that we need to reflect the image of God. We need to be positioned in our households to reflect the image of God, individually and as a household. We were made to reflect and mirror God. So let's think about this for a moment. If we're made to reflect God, who is God that we believe in, that we serve, that we love? We believe in the Godhead, the Holy Trinity. We believe in God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a family. There are three persons but they are one God, three in one. I heard this analogy that I want, I want to share with you, maybe give you this visualization of the Holy Trinity, because I know this can be confusing for us at times. How many of you love to eat pretzels? I love pretzels. I had a pretzel, has three holes, right? You tracking with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But they're all joined together by the dough that seamlessly runs between all three. Does that help you a little bit this morning? To, to visualize who it is the God that we serve, that we believe in? And so this morning, we are called to reflect him. We are called to be physical representations of the Lord. The family is made to reflect God. Secondly, I believe in our households, we are called to replicate. Scripture teaches us to be fruitful and to multiply. Come on, somebody. That's exciting right there. Our God is a generational God. He's so good. And so what's the purpose of your children? They're just for your enjoyment. They're meant to be a part of this multiplication process that's supposed to happen in family. They're supposed to be part of building the church and the kingdom of God. Children aren't just a gift from God so that you have a little me, a little a look-alike that's running around and everybody says, oh, he's so cute, he looks just like you. Yes, he does, I know. That's not just why God has given you the gift of children, but it's meant for you to replicate what God has put inside of you into him so that it can be passed down from generation to generation to generation. And then the third thing that God has called us to do is to rule and reign over creation. And so that's something we need to be positioned in in our households. God encourages us to exercise his rule through our households and throughout the earth. He charges us to take dominion, 
to fill the earth, to govern it, and to rule and to reign over it. And so God created marriage and households to establish his image. God created individuals and families to replicate what he's called us to do here on this earth and to the coming generation and throughout history. And he has called us in our families to exercise rule and dominion throughout the earth. So what is God's process for establishing households? It always begins with a single person. Why? Why do we have to start single? Why can't we just be paired up from the day that we're born? That would make it maybe a little bit easier for some of us, right? I am so thankful I did not have to go through that dating thing in college. I I found my bride uh, when I was like 11 years old, and I thought she was always cute and pretty, and I wanted to tie her shoelaces and get to know her. And man, God gave me the gift of Christina early on, and so I'm grateful for that. But it always begins with us being single. Why? Is singleness a curse? Absolutely not. It is a gift from the Lord. And here's why. Because he has called you to be complete as a single. He wants you to be complete in him. And he wants you to learn that. He wants to to teach you that early on until you are married. Because he says, you can be complete in me. You can find everything that you need in me. You don't have to look into another human being to complete you. I think we've got that wrong when we say that our spouses complete us. If that's the case, things are out of order in your life. Because the only one that should complete you is God. And so in God's kingdom, singleness doesn't mean incomplete or unmarried. It means to be complete until marriage. If you put two incomplete singles together, then you're just going to have a mess. It's going to be an incomplete marriage that is not healthy. We are meant to be complete in and under God as we learn to fulfill our God-given purpose and destiny. And as we find ourselves complete in God, he brings about the gift of marriage. Maybe for some of you it came out of order, and that's okay. But it's important that we find that we are complete in him. And then kind of the second process to this is that God brings the man and the woman together and a marriage covenant is made under God. It's sacred. This is his process. And through the design that God has laid out for us, this is how a new family in a household is meant to be established. And so what's happening in our culture and our society? It's chaotic. In a lot of ways, it's out of the God-given order. And I believe that's a direct result of us being out of position with God's covenant and design for households. Chaos has begun because our society is trying to redefine family. But we also have chaos because we are in divided households. We have broken marriages and we're shuffling kids from one house to the next and our households are so broken down that many kids are even stuck in a foster care system and it's it's just broken. It's not in its right order. 
And so what ends up being the effect from this? Today, across the generational lines, we don't have an understanding of right from wrong. We don't understand that there is absolute truth. And as we are talking about being positioned in our households, I've got to say that same-sex marriage does not align with Scripture. It's out of order. The Bible clearly states that a marriage and a relationship should only be between one man and one woman. Let me prove it to you for just a moment. This is what Jesus said in the New Testament. Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Haven't you read the Scriptures? Jesus replied, They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. That's the only distinction. And he says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. But you see, we live in a fallen and a broken world, and so it gets mixed up. And that's why we are where we are today, is because households are broken. They're not as they should be. We live in a fallen world. And the government and the education systems believe that they own your family. And they believe that they have the right to redefine what it should be. Look at this in Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. It says, Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant. All the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. You see, we've got to get back to this place of what Malachi is saying here. We've got to get back to this place of being positioned in our households and looking at Scripture and obeying it and following it, allowing it to guide us. But you see, things weren't how they should be in the book of Malachi. So what happened? Because the family was in disarray, God cursed the land. And I think this is sad to say, but I believe our land is cursed. I believe that's where we're at today. That's because our households are failing. But can I just give you a little bit of hope for a moment? All isn't lost. I want to call us to do the exact same thing that Nehemiah said. And as he instructed the people that he was leading in Nehemiah 4.14, he said, then as I looked out over the situation, it looked like they were defeated. It didn't look like they were going to be able to rebuild the wall and do all that God had called them to. But he says, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of your enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I'm here to tell you this morning, don't be afraid of what you see going on around you in the society. Men, women, kids, grandparents, stand up and fight. It's on us. 
We've got to be positioned in our roles as households. Take your positions and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your households. If we want to save our society, then we better start fighting for families. Reflect the image of God. Replicate what God has taught you into the coming generation and rule and take dominion over the ground and the place that God has called you to live and to operate inside of. Can I take a moment to speak to you in your individual roles for just a moment inside of the family unit? Husbands, fathers, men. I made sure we didn't have men in children's ministry this morning because I wanted to speak to you. Because it's on you to take your position as the head of your household. Men, you're called to lead your families. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God God showed up in the garden. He didn't say, Adam and Eve, where are you? That's not what he said. He said, Adam, my son, where are you? Why? Because he was the one that was responsible for his family. He was the one that was called to lead his family. God was looking at him. Eve was involved, but God was calling out Adam. Men were responsible even if we aren't to blame. You're the head. We're responsible to guard, to protect, and to lead our families. Men, we're called to lead our families in all aspects of life. Not just in providing. That's a wrong assumption. That's that's part of it. That's just one small phase of it. Here's what you're called to do. You're called to spiritually lead your home. You're called to physically lead your home. You're called to emotionally lead your home. And you are called to financially provide and lead your home. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do today. We need to get in our positions. And so you need to get a word from the Lord about your family. You need to catch a vision for where you are going and what he's calling you to. So you need to get a vision for your household and ask the Lord, okay, God, what do we need to be positioned in? And we need to allow the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be our helpmate. Because I don't know about you, but I need Holy Spirit to help me in leading my family. To know when to shut up and when to say something. To know when to be gentle and when to shake them violently. (laughs) When to serve and when to step out and lead. We need the empowerment of the Spirit to help us in in our roles. But inside of that, I also want to encourage you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we also come alongside of each other when we're struggling. Maybe you're having a hard time catching a vision for your family, for your household. Why don't you look at a man that's doing a pretty good job and say, hey, can you help me? And in humility, say, I need help. You know what we're called to do as the church? To support one another. We are a church family. Family's good. Family's important. But church family's powerful. Because I see you in your weakness, and I want to help you and support you in that. 
And oh yeah, I can see that you're struggling over here. Well, let me help you and support you in this way. We are called to be each other's support. And so men, if you need help, ask for it. It's not embarrassing. It's not shameful. It's saying, I know what God has called me to, and I'm crying out for some help here. I'm saying, I need support. I need you to come alongside of me. And in that role in leading your homes, men, I also want to tell you, do not be domineering to your wives. I am so tired of seeing that in the church. Men that lead with a heavy fist, that make it all about them, and they tell their wives to get behind them and to shut up. I'm tired of seeing that. That is not how God has called us to lead together. We need to be the captains that are steering the ship. But our wives need to be our first mates. Listen to their leadership because they are incredible leaders. Listen to their discernment because most likely they have way more discernment than you will ever have. It's a gift from God to women. Listen. Lead together. Yes, there's times for you to get out front and she'll have to come alongside behind you at times, but most of the time, you're supposed to be arm in arm moving forward together as you lead your families. But in that, I also want to encourage you men to stay positioned because you are called to lead. The generation that will follow us are dependent on us as men leading well. The purpose and the calling of this church is on the men's shoulders. It's on you making the decision to step up and say, this is how we're going to lead our lives because I've got a vision from the Lord. We're called to lead. The next generation is dependent on us. And so we need to get desperate before the Lord and begin to seek his heart. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. We need to ask for wisdom and discernment. We need to show up and be present in their lives. Stop getting distracted by other stuff that's not meant for you to be focused on. And we need to live righteously and humbly. It's okay to say as fathers and leaders, I got it wrong. That's hard for us as men. I never like to apologize to my kids. But I've done it so many times because I've recognized that I am not a perfect father like my father in heaven. And so I come before them humbly and I say, I messed up. I got it wrong. Live righteously, and live humbly before God and your families. Wives, mothers, women, I want to encourage you for a moment. Be your husband's helpmate. Be the first mate on the ship. I don't have time to go into a teaching about how that works and positions and roles, so I encourage you to go look at that later on on your own. But this is the role that I believe God called you to, to be and to operate inside of, to be the first mate on that ship of household and family. Take some time 
to study it. And in that role, I want to encourage you as ladies to not overpower your husbands. And there's, there's moments and seasons, I, I can attest to this early on in my marriage, where I was not stepping up and leading. And so somebody had to step up and lead. And so my wife did that. It was a need. That's sometimes the role of the first mate to say, hey, things aren't being covered like they should be. I'm taking the lead. But don't overpower your husbands. Continue to call out the giftings inside of them. Build up your husbands. Give him the confidence that he needs in order to step up to that role that God has called him to live in and to operate inside of. Be his support. Don't overpower him. Support him in his leadership. Share what the Lord is telling you. You too need to get a vision for your family. Share that with him. Listen to what he's, he's trying to, to teach. Now he's trying to lead. Listen to what the Lord is, is speaking to him and jointly put together a plan that will empower your household to honor God. You have giftings that your husband does not have. Operate in those. Be confident in those. But be submitted to each other. And I want to encourage you as wives and mothers and women to get desperate for the Lord, to fervently pray for your husbands, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, to ask for wisdom and discernment and serve your family and live righteously and humbly before God and your family. Kids, if you're a kid in here, we have a few, but all of us are sons and daughters of somebody. So this is, I believe, is applicable to us even as grown-ups and adults. But I want to speak to you for a moment just in your role as a kid. Can I just encourage you for a minute that you're blessed? If you're a kid here, you have at least a parent or two parents that are showing up and going to church and trying. You're blessed. Thank God for that. Your parents are trying. They're doing their very best to be led by the Lord, and they're going to get it right, and they're going to get it wrong. So can I just encourage you to be gracious? Encourage them. Help them fulfill their dreams that God has put in their hearts for your family. This for you is a, is a season to learn as much as you can about what it looks like to be a father one day and what it looks like to be a mother one day, what it looks like to operate and live inside of your role one day. And there's some things that you can learn from your parents and ob, um, observe from them. And so I want to encourage you to watch them carefully, learn. When they get it right, say, I'm going to do it just like that one day. When they say do it wrong, Thanks for showing me how not to do it, Mom and Dad. And that's okay. Hopefully, we're getting better as we progress throughout the generations. Here's what I know about my parents. They were down here somewhere in this line of, my, on my dad's side of the family, they didn't know the Lord at all. My mom's side of the family, they somewhat did, but they all weren't really going the direction they needed to. But they got married, they got pregnant with me, and they said, we are committing our lives to the Lord. My dad got saved. They started going to church. And all of a sudden, they're progressing. They're moving along. And whenever I graduated from high school and began living as an adult, they had me way down here in the race. You see, they started back here. But I ended up starting 
right here because they helped me to advance uh, uh, throughout my life to help carry the baton a little bit further down the race. And that's what I want to encourage us in as families. And so kids, can you take that on? Carry with you what your parents are putting in you so that you can start further along down in the race. But keep improving throughout the generations. Continue to serve and honor the Lord and be about advancing his kingdom. Don't just be about what you want to do for the rest of your life. Be complete in Jesus as a single. Nothing in this world is going to bring you happiness. Nothing. Everything that you're going to find in this world will lead to depression and anxiety. It'll lead you, leave you searching. It'll lead you, leave you in identity crisis. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there's hope. It's in Jesus. He can complete you. He can satisfy your every need. Stay close to him. Get desperate before the Lord. Fervently pray for your parents and your family. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Ask for wisdom and discernment. Serve your family and live righteously and humbly before God and your family. And lastly, grandparents, can I speak to you in your role for just a moment? I'm not a grandparent yet, so I'm sure I'll have a different perspective one day. But here's how I know that I can encourage you this morning. Support and encourage your kids and your grandkids. Fight the urge to make it all about you. We all have to probably apply that in our role. <laughs> but I've, I've seen that in certain situations and cases, and I'm just like, oh, they're missing it. Don't make it all about you. Be the best coach and cheerleader that you can possibly be to your family. Pour into your grandkids the knowledge, the wisdom, the testimonies, the stories, the miracles that God has done in your life and love them relentlessly. Relieve the parents and build them up. Your role is to be a supporter and an encourager. And all throughout the day, pray for them. I believe every grandparent should be a prayer warrior. I think every parent and kid, too, should be a prayer warrior. But especially grandparents, remain desperate before the Lord. Fervently pray for your household. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Ask for wisdom and discernment. Serve your family and live righteously and humbly before God and your family. If we don't position ourselves in our households, and we are going to look at a world that is confused, mixed up, disintegrated. So this morning, take your position. Step up. Be the man, be the woman, be the kid, be the grandparent in that role that God has given you inside of your home and own it. Rule in it. Take dominion. If you're single, focus on being complete in Jesus. Fulfill that God-given destiny and purpose that he's put inside of you. If you're married without kids, then focus on being complete as individuals and as a married couple and begin positioning your household to serve the Lord. If you're married with kids, then succeed in the role that you're in. Show up, serve, love, and invest in the lives of each other. 
Households should reflect the image of God. Households should replicate his image throughout the world. And households should exercise rule and dominion over what God has put in their care. In closing this morning, I want to share a list of things that I found from Dr. Charles Stanley. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Charles Stanley and his ministry. He's been a pastor for, for many, 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 many years. And he does a whole series and teaching on what it means to be a strong family. And so I've just taken a few of those and I've kind of changed them up into my own wording just a little bit and I've kind of adapted them from some of his principles and teachings. But I wanted to give you a short list, short list and not a comprehensive list of what I believe makes strong families. So pay attention to this. Number one, I'm going to go fast. Parents must love one another. Kids need to see that. People around you need to see that there's love, there's support, there's care. Admit your failures. It's okay to say I'm wrong. I messed up. Pray together. Man, this is missing more often than you know. Pray together as families. Read the Bible together. Cultivate an atmosphere for your children to know the leading of the Holy Spirit. Teach them what it looks like to say, Holy Spirit, what is it you're saying to me? Holy Spirit, how can I be led by you in this situation? Attend church together. Show them how to handle finances. Discourage criticism. We're so critical right now in our culture and society. Discourage that. At the proper age, share your heartaches, disappointments, trials, and tough times. Share what the Lord has done in your life and in your family's life. Share those God stories. Don't avoid hard questions because... The world around you is asking your kids hard questions. So don't run away from it and say, oh, don't, don't ask those questions. We don't, we don't go there. Listen and lead them in understanding. Spend time with your children. And that's one thing my dad did so well. He always, always, always showed up. No matter what it was I was doing, I knew that I could look in the crowd, the audience, and know my dad was there. He showed up. Spend time with your kids. Plan fun things together. We've got to have fun. Serve God together. Do Serve the vision of God together. Do something together. Make coffee together at church on Sunday mornings. Go down and, and work with the homeless and do it together. When we do outreaches throughout this year, bring your kids and let them be a part. Serve God together. Teach them what it looks like to serve him. Be willing to ask for forgiveness. And this is so important. Be a refuge for one another. Don't be against each other. Be a refuge for one another. This last passage of scripture I want to share with us comes from Joshua 24, 15. And he makes a statement, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Is that your anthem? Is that your position in life? Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? As you're standing to your feet, I just want to encourage you just to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to ask the question that we ask every single week at the end of the service and say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're saying to me?
Thank you for tuning in to the Firm Foundation Church Podcast. If what you heard was inspiring or transformative, tell us about it. We love your feedback. Join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. We are located at 61070 M40 in Pawpaw, Michigan. For more information on how you can get connected, check us out at firmfoundation.church.